Good evening. Hope you guys are all doing well. We are learning Maseches Ksubostaf Pei Dalid, and we're starting about 15 lines from the bottom of Pei Gimelam and Bez at the two dots. Um, yesterday, we began the parak of Hakosev Ishto about a husband who tries to basically write off his access to his wife's properties. Dinu Dvarim Lo, that I want no access to your properties at all. So the Gemara is going to present a few more questions that will bring us to the next Mishnah. And then in the next Mishnah, we'll slightly change topics. The Gemara opens toward the bottom of Pei Gimel and at the two dots. A question was asked in the base Medrash. If he writes to her, I want nothing to do with your property and the Pei Peros. Now, we know that by Nechsei Maluk, that a husband has access to Peros, the initial proceeds of whatever the principal item is of the wife. So let's say she owns an orchard, the husband gets the apples. But here he didn't say that. He said, I want no access to your property and the Pere Peros. Says the Gemara, What about the first level? Can he eat the Peros themselves? I understand he's restricted from Pere Peros. And I got that was his explicit exclusion. But what about the peros themselves? Do we say, mi pere peros salik nafshe? He removed himself only from the fruits of the fruits, but mi pere lo salik nafshe. But from the actual initial first fruits, he still has access. Odilma, or perhaps, says the Gemara, the other side of the coin, is mi mile salik nafshe. Really, he removed himself entirely from access of all peros, including the first peros as well as the second. And the Gemara says, Pshita, it seems obvious initially to the Gemara, really, when he says this language, I, I, I want nothing to do with your properties and Pere Peros, it is inclusive of Peros themselves. The Iamris mi Pere Peros Salik Nafshe, if you want to say that the only thing he excluded himself from was Pere Peros, but mi Pere from the first generation of fruits, lo Salik Nafshe, that can't be, because Kevan de Achlin Hule Peros, Pere Peros Mehecha. By virtue of the fact that he's eating the peros, if he's eating the peros, then there can't be a second generation of peros because he he ate all the apples, he ate all the apple seeds, he ate all the oranges. So when he uses this language of, I hereby restrict myself from pere peros, by definition, says the Gemara, it means he's also excluded himself from peros. Says the Gemara, that is not a very logical conclusion. Well, the Tamech, according to that line of reasoning, the following Mishnah, would prove to be very difficult. Haditznan, we learned in a Mishnah, Rabbi Huda Omer, hu ochel pere peros that he is able to eat the pere peros. Now, kevan de hu pere, had it been that he had eaten the initial fruits, however was it created that there were pere peros, pere peros mehecha. And the Gemara there responded, in that case, it must be that he left over some of the apple seeds in order to plant a new orchard. That's how he got pere peros. Here too, it is possible that there were peros left over to build a another orchard of pere peros. So the Gemara actually doesn't answer the question. We thought it was Pashut, that he's forbidden from everything. And the Gemara says the logic that supports that idea that you're forbidden from everything is not a good logic. And the Gemara leaves this uh, unanswered. So our question stands, if a person says, I hereby restrict myself from my wife's pere peros, of her nechzeh malug, we don't know uh, in regards to the conclusion of the Gemara as to whether or not he's restricted from the peros themselves. 
We had said in our Gemara that Reb Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, that if a man says explicitly, I hereby exclude myself from my wife's Yerusha, he was of the opinion that no, you can still access the Yerusha. And our Mishnah had said that kol ha-masnal anyone who makes a stipulation that explicitly goes against the Chumash, your stipulation is a zero. You have no right to do that. None. So the Torah says, we'll see if really the Torah says, the Torah says, you get her Yerusha. He says, I don't get the Arusha. Your stipulation is a zero. Just falls flat. Nothing to do. So the Gemara says, Omar Rav. Rav says, really, the halacha is Karavan Shimon ben Gamliel, but the lonely time. Yes, it's correct. The halacha is like Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, that even if a husband stipulates that he doesn't get the Arusha, he'll still get the Arusha, but it's not for the logic that Rav Shimon ben Gamliel employed. He had employed the logic of anyone kol hamasne. He thought anyone who goes against the Pasuk and Chumash, that just doesn't work. You can't make a stipulation that's connected halacha. You want to make a stipulation that I, I hereby commit to not doing a bris for my son. No, it's, that's not a stipulation. You're just an Amharat. That doesn't work. Your stipulation will fall flat. I hereby restrict myself from my wife's Yerusha. You can't do that. That's a Pasuk and Chumash. That's what Rav Shimon ben Gamliel said. So Rav agrees with the conclusion the conclusion is that the husband's allowed to access the Yerusha after she dies. However, not for the reason that Rav Shimon ben Gamliel employs. The Gemara is going to now go through four different possibilities, the first three of which get rejected and the fourth will accept, as to what Rav actually meant. My, four lines from the bottom, my halacha Rav Shimon ben Gamliel What did Rav mean when he said that the halacha is like Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, but for a different reason? Ilema, if you want to say that the halacha is Rav Shimon ben Gamliel do Amari Mesa Yeroshena, that you Yes, we hold like Rashbag that even if she dies, even if he stipulated against the Arusha, he still gets the Arusha. But Vilav Mitaime, but for a different reason. To Ilu Rashbag, Savar, Rashbag in our Mishnah, he had said explicitly that Masnal Batel. But Virav Savar Tano Kayam. Rav argued against that. Now, Rav, of course, as we know, was in a Dorha Ma'avar. He lived at a very unique time in the history of the authorship of Mishnayas. His Rebbe was Rebbe Huda Hanasi, who wrote on the Mishnayas. Rav was a Talmud. Really, Rav is kind of not a Tana, but the Gemara usually refers to him as a Tana, Rav Tana Upali. So he was in a special door called the Dorha Ma'avar. That's why he's able to argue with Rashbag. So Rashbag was of the opinion that, yes, she can. he can get the Arusha after she dies. Um, but Rav says for a different reason, because Rav held Tanao Kayim, that if he were to make that stipulation, it would work. So then how can Rav then say the halacha is like Rav Shem ben Gamliel? Because, because Savar, Yerusha Sabal de Rabbonon. So he has a fundamental machlokas. Do we say that the husband's access to the Yerusha of his wife is a din de Orisa or a din de Rabbonon? Is it biblical or is it rabbinic? And here the Gemara says in the name of Rav that Rav holds that the Yerusha Sabal is de Rabbonon. And at times... This is its own research paper. At times, the Chachamim would make rules about Dine de Rabbanan that were more stringent than Dine de Oraisa. So Rashbag was of the opinion that if you make a stipulation against the Chumash, it falls flat. Rav disagreed. Rav said the stipulation would actually work. But here, the reason why we hold that uh, you still get the Yerusha is because in this case, Yerusha's Habal is de Rabbanan. And the Chachamim made their Din Rabbanon even stronger. This is all approach number one. And as we turn to the top of Pedal and Amaralaf, the Gemara blows this out of the water. First of all, the Savarav Tanao Kayam. Part of the flow of the Gemara was that really 
that Rav disagrees with Rashbag. Rashbag was of the opinion that if you make a stipulation against halacha to na'obatil, your stipulation is irrelevant. Rav seemed to disagree. But the Gemara questions that. After all, if a person says, I'll go into business with you, but it's on the following condition. I'm going to go into business with you, but you could never claim that I've overcharged you, even if I overcharge you. So that's making a stipulation against halacha because you're not allowed to overcharge me. We know that there's fair market share, whatever the numbers are. So then what does Rav hold? Machlokets. Rav Amar yesh lo alav ein lo alav What do we see from Rav? That Rav says you're still allowed to make the claim that there's ona. So the guy tried to make a stipulation keneged halacha. He was masna mashikasu batora. He said, I'm going to make a deal with you. We'll go into business, but you can never say I overcharge you. Then he charges you triple the cost. <laughs> you're standing there like, what? Rav says, you can go to Bezdin. Take him to Bezdin. That's Ona. So what does Rav show you? Rav shows you that when it comes to Masnel Mashakasu Batora, so it seems to be to know Batel, because the guy said you can't make this stipulation. We see that you can't. So therefore, answer number one has been rejected on the technicality that Rav cannot be of the opinion that to know Kayim. And therefore, the Gemara says, Ella, approach number two, Pedaladamadalef. Uh, line four, we're still trying to answer the question. How can Rav say that the halacha is like Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, that the husband still collects the Yerusha after she dies, even when he stipulated otherwise, but that the logic is different? And the Gemara says, Al halacha Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, like we said, yes, the halacha is that way. That really, she still gets, if she dies, he still gets the Yerusha. But the lav mitaime, but the logic is different. Rib Shimon ben Gamliel was of the opinion that if she dies, he still gets the Yerusha. But Virav Savar Mesa Lo Yerushana. And Rav says she doesn't that he doesn't get the Yerusha if he dies. So the Gemara says that makes absolutely no sense at all. In fact, if we were learning Iyun right now, we'd spend a lot of time on this Havamita because look what the Gemara says. Hi, me time. Yeah, I understand part of what you're saying, that there's a logic there, but you, you have it backwards. You have it backwards. You were saying the halacha is like him, the halacha is not like him. You said, Rav says that he that he does get, that he doesn't get the Arusha. So that this is completely off kilter. The whole suggestion is a zero. So it's a, just a bad idea. So the Gemara then pivots to answer number three, 10 lines down. What Rav meant was that, yes, the halacha is like Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, and when she dies, the husband is Yoresh her. However, the lav mitaime, the logic is different because the ilu rabban Shimon ben Gamliel savar bide oraisa to no batel. The Rashbag was of the opinion that when it comes to a din de oraisa, if a person stipulates against a pasuk and chumash, that their stipulation is a zero to no batel. what's implied by Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, it's implied that, according to Rav Shem ben Gamliel himself, that when it comes to a din However, Rav savar afil So it seems to be that on, under the surface, there's another machlokas. Our case is a din But it's implied from Rashbag that he holds it in the case of a din that he would say it's no'okayim, and Rav disagrees. So says the Gemara, this makes no sense. That doesn't change the case. Our case is a case that's doraisa, says the Gemara, a quarter of the way down. Hai kitaime. The Rav Mosifu, nothing changed. Allah is exactly the same. All you're saying is that they have another machlokas in another case. 
Our case is a din of Yerusha Sabal. But in the case of uh, Rav and the Rashbag, and when it's Dirabun and Nevamachlokas, who cares? That's not our Mishnah. That's not our Mishnah. You cannot say, Rav, that that is what's going on here when we say that the halacha is like Rashbag, but for a different reason. And therefore, the Gemara pivots to its final response and says as follows How do we understand the Shita of Rav? That we hold like the opinion of Rav Shimon ben Gamliel that the husband does get the Yerusha even if he stipulated against it, but that the logic is for a different logic. Yes, of course, Rav agrees that we hold like Rashbag that if she dies, even if he stipulated otherwise, he still gets the Yerusha. But Vilav Mitaime, the Ilu Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, Savar Yerusha Saval de Oraisa. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel is of the opinion that the husband's access to his wife's Yerusha is a din de Oraisa. But and Vichol Hamas now Mashukasubatur to no bottom. And Mido Raisa, no suffix about it. The Rashbag was of the opinion that you cannot stipulate against a Pasuk and Chumash. But Virav Savar Yerusha Sabal de Rabbanon. So this is the reason why we hold like Rashbag that the Yerusha goes to the husband, but for different reasons. Because what does Rav hold in this case? Rav disagrees with the fundamental shita of the Rashbag. Rav says that we're dealing with the Yerusha, Yerusha Sabal that's de Rabbanon. We treat this din de Rabbanon like a din de Oraisa. The result is the same, that the husband gets the Yerusha, but the logic is different, which was our starting point. We wanted to understand how could Rav say that the halacha is like the Rashbag, but that the logic is not like the Rashbag. The Gemara responded, the halacha is like the Rashbag. The reason why the logic is not like that is because whereas the Rashbag holds that the Yerusha of a husband is the Oraisa, Rav disagrees. He says it's derabanan. But the reason why he gains access to the Yerusha is because we, we went above and beyond. And therefore, he has access to the Yerusha. And this is how the Gemara concludes with understanding Rav's statement. The Gemara does have a technical issue with this answer as well. A third of the way down. The whole point of this answer it, it really hinges on the fact that Rav was of the opinion that Yerusha Sabal's de Rabbanon, and he's stepping away from the opinion of Rashbag that Yerusha Sabal is de Oraisa. Says the Gemara, how can you say that? After all, the Hatznan, we have a Mishnah. This Mishnah is found in Maseches Bechoros, and the Mishnah reads as follows Rav Yochanan ben Baroka Omer, Rav Yochanan ben Baroka was a Tana. He said, Hayorish es Ishto, if a man inherits after his wife dies, he inherits her properties. Yachzer Livnei Mishpacha, in a year of a Yovel, when all properties go back to their original owners, we just did Prisbo, so it kind of has a, smells the same, right? So here in this case, if uh, if we reach a Yovel year, then Yachzer Livnei Mishpacha, the husband has to give back the property to the wife's family. With a reduced price, we'll discuss what that reduction in price is momentarily. And when we analyze this sheet of Rav Yochanan ben Baroka, we ask, Micah Savar, Fundamentally, what does he hold about Yerusha? If you say that the transaction of a Yerusha from the wife who passes away to the husband is Deoraisa, then it's not like he's holding someone else's property. That's the Torah giving him that property. There's no giving it back at the Yovel. That's his property. And the Rabbanan, if he holds that Yerusha is the Rabbanan, Damim, Maya what's with this strange reduction in cost? It's the Rabbanan. Make the rules clean and simple. Give it back. Pay money. Don't pay money. What is this weird reduction? And what does Rav say? And this is the evidence that really 
poses a question for us. The Amar Rab, Le'olam, really, what does Rav Yochanan ben Baruch hold? Kasavar Yerushas Habal de Oraisa. Really, we hold that Yerushas Habal is de Oraisa. Uchegon Shehorishto Ishto Beis Hakvaros. And what was it that the wife left for the husband in a Yerusha? It was their personal family's plot in the cemetery. So they had, you know, uh, the, the Smith family plot, 20 plots for the Gans Mishpacha. And now this guy, the husband's family, whose last name is not Smith, he now owns the Smith family. It's not Mechubat. And the Gemara says, Uchigon, Chorishto, Ishto, Besak, Vars Mishum, Pegam Mishpacha, Morabonan Lishkol, Melehadar. He should give back the property. It's not right. It's not right that this guy who's not a Smith is going to be burying his family members in the section that says the Smith family, but it's not right. So the Chachamim were sensitive to the Smith family and they wanted to make sure he gave the property back. So asks the Gemara, So, okay, but why? what's with the money that's transacting here? Why is there a reduction? The Gemara says, because Dmei Kever Ishto, he's still, he's the husband. He needs to pay for his wife's plot of land. That he needs to pay for. So let's say, I mean, it's very expensive. There are, uh, there's a whole big project going on behind the scenes right now with NAST, the National Association for Chaber uh, Kedisha, whatever, whole long story, trying to lower the cost of burial. It's so, so, so pricey. And for people who are not of means and they have a, God forbid, urgent scenario, I mean, you're talking 10,000 is, uh, <laughs> is, that's cheap. That's a, that's a cheap deal. You got to buy the plot. You got to dig it out. Maintenance, not so simple. Okay. Anyways, he has to give back the Dmei Kever Ishto Kedetanya, HaMocher Kivro, the Derech Kivro, somebody who sells their actual Kever, the Derech Kivro, the pathway to their Kever, Ma'amado, the place, which is like a standing place to see the Kever, Umakom Hespedo, again, our cemeteries are built differently now, but these had, they had four different stations for, for the purchase. Uh, the Smith family can just literally go into that property and bury. It's their property. It's their property because of Pagam Mishpacha. Anyways, hidden in this little story is Rav. And Rav seems to say that Rav Yochanan ben Baroka holds that Yerusha is Doraisa. So how could we give our fourth answer in the Gemara? That really, Rav is different than Rashbag. Rashbag holds that it's that Yerusha is the Oraisa, and Rav holds it's Derabanan. Rav can't hold that it's Derabanan. Rav just explained Rav Yochanan ben Baroka that it was the Oraisa. So, which one is it, Rav? You have to figure it out. The Gemara says, no, no. Rav was giving shear. The shear that he gave that day was on Rav Yochanan ben Baroka. When he was explaining what Rav Yochanan ben Baroka held, Rav Yochanan, he says, Rav Latayimid, Rav Yochanan ben Baroka kamar. That's what Rav Yochanan ben Baroka holds. But but Vilei lo he doesn't hold the Rav Yochanan ben Baroka. He holds of our Gemara. Remember, Rav is the author of the enigmatic statement that we started with today, which is that we hold like Rashbag, but for a different reason. And the only way that works is if is if the Rashbag is if Rav holds that Yerusha for a husband is the Rabbana. So we have a fundamental machlokas in the Tanaim as to whether or not a husband is Yoresh's wife, Mido Raisa, or Mido Rabbana. And that brings us to the next mission, two-thirds of the way down. Let's continue. Misha Mace, a man dies. And he left over people to whom he owes money. Isha, his wife, Ubalchov, someone who he had money out that he, he had to repay, repay money. Vyorshin, and his children. Okay, so what's the pecking order? 
this is like, you know, every time there's like one of those shows on TV about like family politics, this is what, that's what this, so that's what this mission is. How do we determine the pecking order? And we'll see that there are very divergent paths in the Tanai. So says the Gemara, says the Mishnah, if I had a collateral in, in someone else's property, oh, Malve, or I had an inbound loan, I lent someone money, the money's coming in now, so who gets the money first? Is it the wife? Is it the Balchov? Or is it the Yorshim? We all could have our own strong opinions on the matter, not for now. Rabbi Tarfon Omer, we give it to the person who has the weakest claim. Okay, well, <laughs> that's very strange. Sounds very backwards. We'll discuss that later. Rabbi Akiva Omer, and this is a very strong line, there is no mercy when it comes to adjudicating these types of cases. The people who get it first are the Yorshim. Why? The Mishnah tells us. Shekulan, the other two, the Isha and the Balchov Tzrichin Shvua, when they collect money from the dead man, from his estate, they need to make a shvua. But But when it comes to his own progeny, so then, is it like that? Fit right in, Mark. But when it comes to his own progeny, to his own children, there is no shvua. And the Rishonim here explain that means that the Rishonim are more muhzak in that father's money than the other people. More than the wife and more than the Baalecho. What about another case? Part two of the Mishnah. Let's say that the father who died, or this man who died, he left over fruits that have been separated from the ground. The halacha is in the Mishnah. First come, first served. Whoever grabs the apples off of the broken limb of the tree, it's theirs. What if Let's say she collected more than the 200 that were in her ksuba. She collected 300, so there's a 100 balance. Or Ubalchov Yoser Alchovo. Or the Balchov collects more than, because remember, it's called a Zacha. He died, everybody runs to the field, and they start throwing stuff into a basket. And when she tabulates, she has an extra 100, and he has an extra 100. So what do we do? Hamosar, for the money that goes beyond the chiyuv that this guy had to these people, that's a machlokas as well, and the same machlokas we just saw. Rabbi Tarfon Omer Yinasnu Shebahen. We give it to the person with the weakest claim. Rabbi Akiva Omer Ein Merachem in Bedin. We show no mercy. That the Yorshim get it. They are more muhzak in the father's money than the other Baalechov. So the Gemara is bothered first and foremost. When we said that the father actually had some kind of nest egg, it was either in the form of a picadon or a malve. Either it was collateral or he had incoming money from a loan. Why both? Just say we found $1,000 that belongs to him. So the Gemara has to paint this picture for us. Why is it that you had to highlight that there were two different sources of income that these balechov could now collect from? Says the Gemara, Tzricha. Two lines before the wide lines, 10 lines before the bottom of the page. malve. If I only had the case of the inbound loan. So there, behaka ama rebi tarfon. There, rebi tarfon says we give it to the lowest, to, to the person with uh, the lowest on the totem pole. Because what happens when I give you a loan for money? What's the money for? It's for spending. Or you take out a line of credit on your house. It's for spending. So the the, the zoos that I borrowed, oh, that money is long gone. What I'm paying you back is different coins, different iterations of bills. It's no longer the same thing. And therefore, because Mishum de Mavalo Nitna, therefore Rebbe Tarfon said we give it to the lowest, a person lowest on the totem pole. But maybe 
Aval Picadon de Ise Be'ene, the Picadon, which was actually the item that was owned by this guy who died, Maybe he would have agreed to Rabbi Akiva that Ein Marachem in Bedin. And on the flip side as well, the Itanaha, if we only had the case of the Pikadon, when there's a Pikadon, yes, that's because it's still actually his. When it comes to the Malve, because Malves, because the zoos that I gave, the money that I gave was meant for spending when I lent it to you. So therefore, when I recollect, that's not even the same money, we needed both cases. And really the point of the Gemara is, is to articulate that the shitas of Rebbe Tarfon and Rebbe Akiva, they are party lines. They're not going to change their opinion based on the circumstances of where this new money comes from for the, for the dead man. It doesn't matter if it's the same product and it doesn't matter if it's a different product. Any money in this guy's name is collectible. And Rebbe Tarfon will say it's always to the lowest on the totem pole. And Rebbe Akiva will say it's always to the Yorshim. The Gemara says, my Lekoshel, what does it mean, Lekoshel, that Rebbe Tarfon has this opinion that we always give monies found in the name of the dead man to the Koshel, to the weakest of the bunch. Rebbe Yossi, Reb Chanina, Omer, Lekoshel, Shebiraya, the one who has the weakest proof. And the Rishonim here point out that that's actually the Balchov. Rebbe Yochanan, Amar, no, it's actually Lekosuvas Isha, Mishum China. The Lekosuvas Isha is the, is the weakest one, Mishum China. If she doesn't walk away with some money, she won't be able to beautify herself. She won't be able to make herself marketable to date again. Uh, and Rashi here says this 10 lines from the bottom, Mishum China, Sheyim Tzua Ishim Chein Be'enei Hanoshim, V'yu Nosos Lahen, Shelo Tidagna Lahafsid Ksuvas. Okay, so the Gemara, the Gemara says. Fascinating. It's just a sidebar, but fascinating. Shaila had a student who got into a very bad marriage. She got married, very quickly got divorced. She was covering her hair and she called me and said, I am like 23 years old. I'm dating. I, I, I'm covering my hair. Can I just not cover my hair? Like, this is crazy. I'm not married anymore. Hair is erva when you're married. Is hair erva when you're not married? Big Shaila in the postgame. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein has a number of chubas on this. I certainly did not know the answer, nor was I ever willing to answer such a question. So at that time, I was learning in the Choshen Mishpah Kolod in the morning. I spoke to Rabbi Zev Kohn. He showed me two chubas in Igris Moshe, and he said if they apply to her, she can uncover her hair. And Taka, that's exactly what happened. She uncovered her hair. She subsequently got remarried. Just a bit, it's a game changer when you're 23. It's a, it's hard. It's a, it's a hard, it's a tough scenario. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's what the Gemara was concerned here with different iterations of the case, but they were concerned Mishumchina that she should be marketable. And that's why it was important for her to get the Ksuba. And that's why, according to Rabbi Yochanan, when Rabbi Tarfon says Koshal, he's talking about the Isha. He's talking about the wife, not the Balchov. Okay. And this is Ketanoi. This seems to be like the Machlokes Tanim, Rebbe Yom and Omer Lekoshel She Beraya Kosher. One is talking about the the Raya, and that's talking about someone who's a good Balchov. Rebbe Lazar Omer Leksubas Ishem Ishumchina Machlokes in regards to how we understand Rebbe Tarfon. So when Rebbe Tarfon says Koshel, in our brains we're going to draw two possible lines. One is uh, for the Balchov, and one is for the Ishem. Hiniach Peros Hatzlushin. So if there are going to be any fruits uh, that were on a branch and the branch had fallen off the tree and that was part of his property, says the Gemara, I don't understand. This question needs to be understood. What did we say in our Mishnah? That if a woman over collects payros, she collects payros greater than her ksuba. Her ksuba was 200, she collected 300. We said there's a machlokas and Rabbi Akiva was of the opinion that the Yorshim get it. The Gemara says, 
why would Rabbi Akiva say that the woman should keep anything? What did Rabbi Akiva say? Money doesn't go to Yorshim. Ein rachamin bedin. What did Rabbi Akiva say? All the money goes to the Yorshim, not to the woman. She collected 400, 300 uh, zoos worth of fruit. Too bad. You lose it all. You get nothing. Why? Because Rabbi Akiva is a hardliner. And he says everything goes to the Yorshim. So asks the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva, Ma'iria Mosar, the case of Mosar, he, that shouldn't phase him one drop. She shouldn't have gotten one apple out of the deal. Says the Gemara, Kul Hunami everything according to Rabbi Akiva should have gone to the Yorshim because Ain Rachman Bedin. And the Gemara responds, You're absolutely right. And that's Taka what Rabbi Akiva holds. The only reason why it's different than our Mishnah is, but really there's no difference. Rabbi Akiva would agree, hardliner in Racham and Bedin, she can go there and collect baskets of fruit all day, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, all proceeds go to the Yorshin, according to Rabbi Akiva. Top of Pedalim and Bez Rabbi Akiva. Okay, you're a hardliner, but but what about the halachic nature of Tfisa? Tfisa lo mahanya klal? If I go, if she goes out there, it doesn't have any bearing at all, says the Gemara. If she would have done that while he was alive, then it would have worked. But once he's dead, everything goes to the Orshim in this type of scenario. According to Rabbi Tarfon, who says that even after death, the Tfisa does work. Hold on one second. Where were these items resting? You, you can't just grab them from anywhere. Where were these items resting? So the Gemara says, this is a little bit of a machlokas. Says the Gemara, What do both Rav and Shmuel say? They're in a public space. They're in a public uh, area. This is a pile of stuff that belongs to Ruvain who died. And they go and they start taking things. Aval a simta, we've learned about this in Erevin. I think we had it one other time outside of Erevin. A simta is like a semi-public place, kind of like an alley, so the way that some of the uh, English books translate it. I think art school translates it as an alley. Huh? Right, in modern Hebrew. What does he say? A hubbub of the thoroughfare. Hubbub? Hubbub. Okay, that's a, that's a new word. It's, it's a quiet recent area near the public thoroughfare. The, the, the hubbub is kind of free of the noise. Oh, you're in the footnotes. Okay, so it's basically an alleyway, a little bit off of the main road. So uh, Rav and Shmuel were of the opinion that they, that even according to Rabbi Tarfon, they could not be tofes these materials when they were in an alleyway, only from a public space. It doesn't matter. You can collect it anywhere. And then Rav and Rav Yochanan have seemingly a little bit of a disagreement. Don Daine, there was a case that came up, Kerebi Tarfon, and the Ahadre Reish Lakish Uvda Minayhu. The din should have been like Rabbi Tarfon uh, about the Simta. And then the Ahadre Reish Lakish Uvda Minayhu, and then Reish Lakish, uh, he, he kind of turned things on its head. And the Gemara says, Amar Le Rav Yochanan, Asisa Kshel Torah. Rav Yochanan looks at Rabbi, at Reish Lakish and says, you've made it like Torah. What does that mean? Take a look at Rashi. Rashi is a drop lower than where we are, third of the way down in the Rashi's. Asisa, he says to Reish Lakish, Asisa divrei Rabbi Akiva, ki iduhein halacha l'mosh misinai, shechazarta maise bezdin, dai lanu l'kaim halacha kamosa l'chadchila, aval mishinase v'nigmar adin in lanu l'achzor. Once you've already paskin to Shaila, leave it be. The Shaila was paskin. You let it out of your mouth, just let it go. So what is going on here between Reish Lakish and Rav Yochanan? And the Gemara says, Maybe Rav, and Rav, maybe Rav Yochanan and Reish Lakish are arguing about the following. 
Demar Savar Ta'abidvar Mishnah Choser. What does this mean? So you're a Rav of a Shul, you're a Posek. Somebody asks you an ABC Shaila and you get it wrong. So uh, you, you pask in a Choshen Mishpat Shaila wrong. Yes, you take the money, Ploni. Then Ploni's holding the money and then he looks up this Sivan Shulchan Aruch. It's like obvious the Rav made an error. So says the Gemara, Mar Sabar Ta'abidvar Halacha Choser. That would be in line with Reish Lakish. Umar Sabar Rabbi Yochanan would hold Ta'abidvar Mishnah Eino Choser. So this is an, an interesting Shaila Lamaisa. Now you go into a Bezdin, the Bezdin Paskins the wrong way, and it's clearly the wrong way. So then what's the din? That seems to be a machlokas. The Gemara says, love. Really the Kulei Alma Ta'abidvar Mishnah Everyone agrees that if a Bezdin were to give out the wrong psak, and I'm not talking about a complex psak, an easy, this uh, Tibal, an easy psak, and they get it wrong, everyone agrees that the money is Choser. What are Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lakish arguing about? Marsavar Halachak Rabbi Akiva Mechaver Volome Rabo. One person is of the opinion that the halacha is like Rebbe Akiva when he's up against any one other person, but not his Rebbe, who was Rebbe Tarfon. And some say Rebbe Akiva was so great, he superseded his own rub, even when he would disagree with Rebbe Tarfon, the halacha would be like him. Another possibility. Really, the halacha is like Rebbe Akiva, but not against Rebbe Tarfon. Just a historical question. We're not sure. Was Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Akiva's Rabbi? Yes or no? We don't know. One more final iteration. Everyone agrees Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Akiva were, were peers. They were, they were friends. Some say that when it comes to Rabbi Akiva, it is the halacha. That we tend to go like the opinion of Rabbi Akiva, but it's not a slam dunk every time. And that's why Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish were having the argument that they were having. The Gemara now tells a few stories, just I got it to us from here out until the end, and we'll stop about eight, nine lines down on the top of Pehei Amidalaf. Let's get into the stories. We're halfway down, Pehei Dalaf and Yochanan. There was a family member of Rav Yochanan, Tafus Para de Yasme Misimta, and he grabbed hold of a para uh, from the Yasomim in an alleyway, in this semi-private space, semi-public space. You did good. We're seeing an application of their story here, of their machlokes. You have to give it back. He changed his mind. He went back to Rabbi Yochanan. Ping pong. Went to posting number one. They got a psak. Posting number two got a different psak. Back to posting number one to say what posting number two said. I have someone who's uh, who's an equal, who's arguing with me. I can't. I, I, he has a good svar and I have a good svar. I don't know what to tell you. Ahu bakra diyasme. A bakra is a person who watches bakar. Uh, some type of, uh, I don't know, watching cows. It's got to be easier than watching sheep. I can't imagine they move too quickly. Uh, and somebody took a tour. Somebody took a shore from him. They took an animal. According to the balchov, the person who's owed money, he says, I, I took the cow. I took the bull when it when uh, when the person was alive. Ubakra Amar, the person watching them said, They took it afterwards. They went to go pose a Shiloh. Do you have any witnesses that saw when you took this uh, this particular when you when you took this particular animal? He says, no, no witnesses at all. 
then the Gemara employs amigu. We know, of course, amigu is because, because I could have argued X, but didn't, you should trust me, because if I wanted to lie, I could have argued X. Amarle, migu, trust me, I could have just said I was uh, I was the owner, that I purchased it. Forget about the fact that I was tofaced, that I grabbed it without permission. I could say whatever I want. So therefore, the Gemara says we should believe him. Asks the Gemara, wait one second, technical issue. Animals that roam, animals that walk around all over the place. You can't have any chazaka about what property that they're in or where they were at any particular time, says the Gemara. Don't worry. They're really, these animals tend to stay close to the shepherd. They don't move off very far. The Benesia, story of the Benesia, whoever the Nasi was at that time, Tafus Amsa, the maybe Simta, they took a, an Amsa, they took a maidservant, it's like literally kidnapping that wouldn't go over well in today's, uh, in today's culture. And the Gemara says they took what, this woman from a Simta, from a semi-public alleyway. Yossi Rebbe Abo, Rebbe Chanina Bar Papi, Rebbe Yitzchak Nafcha, these three Amorayim were sitting. The Yossi Rebbe Abba Gabayhu, and Rebbe Abba was sitting there with them. Amrulahu, they were talking to one another, and they said, yeah, Shapir Tafsitua, they took her, and they took her in a way that was halachically permissible. Amrulahu, Rabbi Abba Mishum, the Benesia Ninhu, just because we're talking about the Benesia Machnefisulahu, all of a sudden, you're going to flip your psaac, you're all of a sudden so flattering, wow, what a Tamil Chacham, you're like literally making stuff up, that's not the way we paskin. After all, we know that Reish Lakish was of the opinion that you'd have to return such a woman, return such a such an item had it been an item that needs to be returned. It says the Gemara, um, uh, end of story. That was what the Gemara says, that they uh, they really should have returned it. So as you can see, this story, this machlokas of Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish, as to whether or not this tfisa, grasping something that really uh, you think should be yours without Rishus is not so simple. Last of the short lines, Yemar Barchashu, he had a transaction with a particular person. He was owed money. Shachiv, the person who owed him money, died. The Shavik Arba, he left over a boat. So this guy's like, great. We've seen a lot of yachts confiscated in the last many, uh, many months. So he's like, this is wonderful. I'm going to go get myself a super yacht. He says to one of his guys, go take over the boat. It's, you know, Pier 6 and uh, it's boat 23. That's my boat now because this guy owes me money. So Azal Tufts, and he went and he took the boat. Pagu be Rav Papa ve Rav Huda bereid Rav Yoshua. He bumps into the great two Amorayim of Rav Papa and Rav Huda bereid Rav Yoshua. Amru lei, i tofes labalchov, sorry, at tofes labalchov b'makom shechav l'acherem. You're taking a boat, but there are other balechov that this guy who died owes money to. You're not the only one in line. And you can't make a Kenyan like that just by sending your messenger to go do it. it says the Gemara, it wasn't a sufficient uh, move. So they backed off. Then what happened? Well, Rav Papa and Rav Huna Braid Rav Yoshua were some of the other Baalechov. So they jumped in. Now they weren't sending their messengers, they were doing it themselves. And the Gemara says, Tafsuhu Inhu. The two of them, they tried to take over the boat. Rav Papa Mimlach Muluche, he started rowing the boat. He became a, a Malach in Hebrew with a, with the Ches, is a sailor or a captain of a boat. And Rav Huna Bered Rav Yoshua Mimtach Be'ashala. And he was pulling on the rope to show that it was his uh, Kenyan Meshicha. Mar Omar, 
One of them said that the whole boat is mine. Umar Amar, Anakninalakula. And oh no, it's my boat, it's my boat they're fighting about. They bumped into Rabbi Pinchas Barami. Omar Lahu, he says to the two of them, they're fighting like cats and dogs. This boat is on a pier. You can't just go and take any boat you want. It has to be in a public place. Otherwise, it's not even eligible for the taking in the first place. So they both respond in kind. Omar Lahu, what, it seems to be that one of them said to them, what's the gears to change? Amrule, that makes more sense. They said to him, Anonami mecharifusa de nahar from the wild parts of the water we took it, meaning it's in the public parts of the water, the Rishus Harabim parts of the water, I was allowed to take it. Also the Kamei de Rav, on the Maisa, we took the boat from a reasonable place. We just have a Machlokas who owns the boat. So says the Gemara, Amar Lahu, Ka'aki Chivri, you're like white geese, Mishalchi Glimi de Inchi, white geese is like a metaphor of source. The white is a reference to their age, to their hair. You're older, and uh, and geese have a reference to them being Talmidi Chachamim. Um, I don't know what the exact reference is, but that's what the Gemara says. Um, and uh, says, you you older, wiser gentlemen, you've caused a problem. Glimi de inchi. Mishalche glimi de inchi. You're taking people's clothes away from them. You're also, you're, the same criticism you gave guy number one for sending his shell. You have the same problem. You're being tofes b'makom balchov. And tofes b'makom balchov is lo konam. And hachi amar of nachman, and this whole conversation only starts had it been that he was alive, but certainly not when he's dead. They all got blown out of the water. Really, their own musr came back to bite them. We're going to stop right here. We'll pick up Emir Tzashem tomorrow night at 8.40. Wishing you all a good night and a gemar chasimatol. What are my options?